Turning in our Bibles this evening to Luke's Gospel in the chapter 18. Luke's Gospel in the chapter 18. Can I thank your sister Ruth for her ministry and song tonight? And we pray that the Lord will use it even in each of our hearts and lives. And to our brother Ian for leading and for his warm words of welcome, we give thanks as well, as well as to the oversight for their invitation to come today. As we come to the Gospel then, this evening we're coming to Luke's Gospel, and this chapter 18. And we come to a gospel record in which, of course, there is much information imparted to us about the earthly ministry of our Lord. Indeed, Luke and both Matthew record for us in depth many of the key messages that our Lord delivers. And so as we come to consider them, uh, one of them tonight, we begin our reading then in the verse 9 of the chapter, where the Word of God records, He spake, that's being the Lord Jesus this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not Lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so reads the word of the Lord. As we consider this parable, this message that the Lord gives even to the audience who are before him, we do so understanding some of the key truth, I trust, that it communicates. For found within it are clear principles and indeed clear indications of what the gospel is all about. Nevertheless, the Bible tells us there that this is termed as being a parable. And a parable is defined for us then as a story, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Or if we want to uh, scratch a little bit deeper, we can say that it communicates a key truth that is relevant in the spiritual sphere using the physical sphere as its primary source. Nevertheless, as we come to it this evening, we see very clearly that the Lord is using this to communicate a clear message, but also in a very relevant way. Something that all those who were gathered before him could easily identify, even the message he was seeking to communicate, and indeed the subjects of which he was dealing. We see before us two men in this parable. And this is really the tale then of two men. And the purpose that our Lord has in delivering this parable is because there are those who are gathered around him. There are those who have traveled to hear him speak. There are those who find their place in the audience day by day, time after time, who trusted in themselves. And many there be today, to this very day, who exhibit and manifest that very same behavior. For as they consider the gospel and as they consider the truth of God's word, they are those who are confident in themselves, confident in their own good name confident in their own good deeds, confident in their own decisions, their own wisdom, and all the while they are far removed from what the Bible reveals a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ to be. 
And so looking at each of these two men in turn, let us see what the Bible is communicating even through this parable this evening. The one thing that we must note before we begin is that both of these men were sinners, but only one of them knew it. Both of these men were sinners, but only one of them knew it. We're introduced, first of all, to the Pharisee, being one of the two men who went up into the temple to pray. And this Pharisee, the Bible tells us in the verse 11, stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, and then begins to list even the behavior and the descriptions he attributes to those other men. This Pharisee finds himself in a place of worship. He finds himself in a place, indeed, where prayer is wont to be made. He finds himself taking the place of one who believes in God, one who is seeking then to live out even a modicum of belief in God. He's a good, he's a decent, he's a clean living man. All because of his own testimony. He says, I'm not like the extortioners, I'm not like the unjust, I'm not like the adulterers, I'm not even like this other man who came up into the temple with me. And so by his own lips, he's professing to be good, he's professing to be decent, he's professing uh, to be clean living. Look in the verse 12, he says, I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. So as we view this man, and as we hear even his own report of his behavior, his character, we would be prone to think that here is someone who is upstanding. Here's someone who is worth taking notice of. Here's someone who is undoubtedly held in high regard even by those he lives among. The reality was that this man was lost. Whilst professing with his own lips to be a good, clean, up, uh, clean living and upstanding man, he was nevertheless one who was void of a true work of God in his heart and in his life. Many there be who take the place of a religious person. Many there be who even take the name Christian and seek, yes, in their lives to do that which is right and that which is good. But all the while they find themselves in exactly the same condition as this Pharisee did. One who knows little to nothing of God's work in their own life and in their own experience. And so the problem with this Pharisee was that, was that he was not good enough. We can never accuse him of being a bad man. We can never point to a problem or a, 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 something that was amiss in his life. But nevertheless, as we know the truth is revealed in God's Word to be that we are all born in sin, we're all shaped in iniquity, and that all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God, and there is none that doeth good, no, not one then quite rightly we say that the problem is not that he was bad, but that he was not good enough. And that remains to be the problem for all those who have yet to experience a work of God in their hearts and in their lives. Tonight we aren't here to paint you, dear unbeliever, as one who is bad. One who is to be condemned even with words or with actions. But we are here to remind you that in the light of God's Word and before 
God's word, you stand condemned. Because we are all guilty in light of his law. So you see, in these verses, just the two verses that are attributed to him, this man uses the pronoun I five times. And everything about him communicates this truth. He was relying on who he was. He was relying on what he was. He was Christian or religious by name, but truly not in practice. The story is told of the ship, the Queen Mary. It was one of the largest ships in the year 1930. And it was eventually retired to make a floating hotel. As it was brought in to be remodified for its future purpose, those who were seeking to work on it had the desire to maintain as much of its original structure as they could. And so the work began. But one of the notary things about that ship were, of course, its massive smokestacks. This was something that was uh, central even to the plan and to the idea that those who planned to conserve the appearance of the ship, these smokestacks were central to that idea and to that plan. But being brought out of the sea and into the yard... They began to work on the ship as a whole and then focused their attention on the large smokestacks. And they began to crumble just even at their very fingertips. And what was found was this, that the steel of which these smokestacks were constructed had rusted in its entirety. And they were being held together by little nothing more than paint. That's exactly how so many stand before God tonight, seeking to clothe themselves with the appearance of one who is good. But as the Bible reminds us, all our righteousnesses, all our good works, all our good endeavors, yea, even our good name, they're all but filthy rags in his sight. He sees through them all, and they provide no protection when it comes to the assessment of God from his word to one who is an unbeliever. We're introduced to the Pharisee. But here we're also introduced then in this story to the publican. We see him mentioned, first of all, in verse 10, he's one of the two men. One was a Pharisee, the other a publican. We see him mentioned in verse 11, used as... Uh, one who is an illustration of what the Pharisee never desired to be, never to be desired to be known as. And then we see, of course, his own behavior and indeed his own description given to us in the verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, a publican standing afar off. Here was one who recognized that he was unworthy. He stood as afar off like a leper would. One who was not willing to draw nigh because he identified within his own heart and within his own life something which separated between him and his God. It was a picture of humbleness if we could ever find it. One who finding his place there in the, pla- in the temple, in the place of worship, recognized and identified that in and of himself he had no right to draw nigh. 
It will right to find His place before even that altar of worship, or indeed any prominent place of worship. And as he stood afar off, he would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven. It was Ezra who said that their sins of the people had mounted up. They had built up to such an extent that they could not even lift up their heads unto heaven. Here was one who manifested such understanding. Realizing and in light of God's Word, realizing and in light of God's holy presence, he was a sinner condemned by the law. Condemned because of his own words, condemned because of his own thoughts, condemned because, yea, even of his own actions. He was one who was void of any true righteousness standing there in the presence of God. The Bible goes on and says, He smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He realized that his problem was with his heart. He struck at the very place upon which this problem was found in his being. And striking upon his breast, he struck that place that corrupted him. For the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And the Bible reminds us that as we come before God and as we sit even here tonight in the place of worship and as we hear His Word explained to us, as He looks upon us, it is He who searcheth our hearts. He looks not at our outward appearance, He searches what's on the inside. He cares little for how we've presented ourselves in this meeting. He cares little for where we have come from, nor indeed where we are going. He cares rather that which is evident and found to be on the inside, that which is a true measure of who we are and where we are in light of His revealed Word. As he cries unto the Lord, he quotes those words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here was one who was willing to take the place of a sinner. Why? Because he realized it was the only place that he could take. He wasn't trying to pretend to be someone that he wasn't. He wasn't trying to dress himself up nor present himself to be of greater uh, quality than he truly was before God. No, he took the place of a sinner and he lifted up his voice unto God and he said, Be merciful unto me. The word merciful is found here and used here is the same word that is used by Paul later on in the New Testament as he describes God's look of satisfaction as he fused the blood of Christ on the mercy seat. He identifies that because Christ came and was the once and for all sacrifice as He gave of His own life a ransom for your sin and for mine, and as He presented that blood upon the mercy seat in heaven, His own precious blood, then it's that which atones for sin and that which avails for the soul of the sinner. Tonight, it's a reminder to us, is it not, that there was none other good enough to bear the price of sin, to pay the price of sin, for He alone 
could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. It is by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by availing of that precious blood that he shed that cleanseth us from all sin, recognizing that there was that fountain that was made for sin and for uncleanness. Hem writer got it right when he penned those words. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Tonight that blood still sits upon that mercy seat. And tonight that blood is still able to wash the vilest of sinners clean. Tonight that blood still means that if if and when it is applied to your heart, you will know instant acceptance before God, instant forgiveness from God, and an instant welcome into the family of God. Christ truly is our mercy seat. The one who died, the one who was buried, and the one who rose again, all that we might be free. What we see here and evidenced in the life of the publican is that work that only grace can do. For he identifying of his need of a Savior. He identifying of his need of a cleansing cast himself upon the mercy and the grace of an almighty God. It was true repentance, was it not? It was true faith, was it not? It's confession of who he was and identification of only what Christ could provide. Tonight, that still means that for you and for me, if we are outside of Christ, there must be that understanding that we are separated from Him because of our sin. There must be that turning and seeking forgiveness for that sin. There must be that putting our faith and confidence in Christ alone for our soul's salvation. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Scripture tells us then that this man, the publican, went down to his house justified. As this cry was made, as this recognition of his own unworthiness, his own inability to change anything in regards to his spiritual uh, being and who, who he was in the sight of God, is this identification that God alone was able to effect that change that was needed, then God was faithful and true to his word. He justified him in light of the law. Tonight there is, of course, that same justification available to all who will believe. Tonight there are many, even in our gathering tonight, who rejoice in that truth that they are justified. They're free from the condemnation of the law. They're free from the penalty of the law. They're free from the very power of sin. 
I know justification is a legal term. It's found primarily in the New Testament Scripture, and it communicates to us this great truth that in light of the law, God declares us innocent, all because of what Christ has done on our behalf. See, the truth of the matter was that when it came to these two men, there was a love in the heart of God for both of them. But the Pharisee was so filled with his own self-importance, so consumed with the, the narrative of who he was and what he had done, that he failed to identify the love that the publican closed in on. Tonight you may be the very most upstanding of people. Or you may come with a great burden and a great account of many sins that you have done. But understand clearly from the Word of God, God loved the world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall. And salvation free at highest cost, He offers free to all. Publican, the Pharisee. There is, of course, another one in this story who we must make mention of. It is, of course, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He it is who's rehearsing this truth. He it is who's delivering this message. He it is who's using this comparison between that which was demonstrated in the life of the Pharisee and that which was demonstrated in the life of the publican to preach a clear gospel, to remind one and all as they gathered before him that there was a need for every man and every woman to identify that same condition of which the publican made testimony of. He was the one who came to this scene of time. He came, the Bible tells us, in the fullness of time. And he came in order that he might do the work that his father had sent him to do. Were they there before time began? God the Father anointed and appointed him to be the Savior of the world. And here he came on that mission of mercy, seeking, yes, to impart wisdom to all who heard, but only ever intent in fulfilling the Father's plan of redemption. And as we recognize and identify even that theme of which he speaks of in this parable, it is, of course, consistent with the theme that was identifiable throughout the days of his earthly ministry. He's seeking to call sinners to repentance. He's seeking the lost. He's calling those who are yet outside of him to close in on the offer of mercy and grace that is to be found in him alone, to be found in the message of the gospel that was completed by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The one who tonight is willing to be merciful just as he was to the publican. I know he lived a sinless life. He lived a life that was above and beyond reproach. And coming into Jerusalem as he did, 
uh, to die on a cross. He came as a sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And there upon that cross, as He willingly gave of His life a ransom for you and a ransom for me, the Bible tells us that God made Him, Christ, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And that verse communicates to us this great truth that upon Him our sins were laid. The penalty, the punishment, the wrath of God that is rightly and justly, the reward for our sins, the outcome of our sins, it was all laid on Him. As He suffered and as He hung on that tree and died alone, He bore the full weight of our sin and the full load of the wrath of God for our sin. Oh, the scene that unfolded in Calvary's hill. For there he knew what it was to suffer at the hands of men. As they mocked him, and as they called unto him, If thou be the Son of God, bring thyself down from that cross. But yet his cry was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He knew then that separation from God, that banishment, as it were, from the very presence of God, as he cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As God the Father turned his back on his own dear Son, that he might fully pay the price for our sin. And he was banished so that we might never be banished. He was banished in that moment so that we might always know a welcome. We might always know that blessed assurance of the presence of God with us here in our lives as we put our faith and our trust in Him. Tonight He cries unto all who are yet outside of Him, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible speaks of one man who recognized who he was. One man who identified what God alone could provide. One man who went back to his house justified. The other didn't. I wonder tonight, how will you go home? Do you go home with the song of the soul set free? Or do you go home ignorantly assuming that all will be well? Rejecting the simple offer of mercy and grace in the gospel. Void of any real work of God in your life or in your heart. May it not be so. But today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. May God bless his word to your hearts tonight. Our Lord is now rejected, and by this world is owned, by the many still neglected, and by the few enthroned. We'll stand to your feet to sing this closing hymn together, please.